Why bad things happen. Welcome to Swedenborg Live. And yeah, we are going to tackle that subject. Well, depending on how much you guys bring it up. Great to have you all here. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host today. And hanging out with me, I have some just exceptional people, in my humble opinion, who know their Swedenborg, know their life, and are perfect guides with us on this journey. Uh, would you all take a second to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Chelsea Odner and a writer for Swedenborg and Life. Also recently now the director of content strategy. And I have to say, Curtis, I appreciate how festive you are this week. Thank you. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm glad it didn't go unnoticed. I have put in my bit for holiday cheer here. <laughs> and, and I'm Jonathan Rose. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm Jonathan Rose, a series editor of the New Century Edition of the Theological Works of Emanuel Swedenborg, shopping for a shorter title and very happy to be with you all. We're going to need every bit of that title to tackle the tough yes. questions. Your title us. makes up for the rest of ours. That's right. That's Share right. it between ourselves. I'm Curtis, human person. Yeah. So what we've got is uh, a couple of really exciting things on the show here today. The What could be the most exciting thing ever in human history is that today we are doing the, the drawing for the culmination of our Bringing Heaven to Earth campaign raffle. So in here are the names of the lucky people who may win life-changing items uh, that we are giving out as an expression of our thanks to all the support you all have given us over the course of this campaign. If you're not familiar, we had a $10,000 matching gift as part of this get, get Bringing Heaven to Earth campaign that whenever you give, it gets matched and we're trying to maximize it, get the whole 10,000 by getting 10,000 from all of you. And we are up to $17,413 in total raise. So we have a less than 3,000 to go with the matching. So it's really only 1,500 to go that we're trying to actually raise by the end of this show. Can we do it? Okay. As an incentive, if you haven't given yet and you give during this show, your name, I will write it down and put it into this. And you, at the end, we will be drawing for these three items. Dun, 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 dun. First of all, we have a print of that you can hang on your wall of some of our amazing art that goes along with the work that we do here. I'm assuming you're seeing it on your screen there. That can be yours to decorate your home, to put in the background of your Zoom calls. Then the next item is a quilt. And it. I have a little description of it that I wanna pull up here. This was custom made by Latin consultant Caradom of our, uh, oh, here we go. Yeah, let me let me read it. The quilt was crafted and contributed by faithful OTLE friend and prolific quilter, Lori Odner. I chose it, this is from Caro, uh, who chose I chose it out of her abundant selection because I was drawn to the swirl of warm, bright and glowing colors. It struck me as heavenly, otherworldly. The exotic tropical birds with tiny hearts scattered amongst them suggest a kind of paradise. Swedenborg learned that in the word, birds are gentle, useful and beautiful like the ones on this quilt, meaning intellectual concepts that are true. So the birds with little hearts bouncing between them seen a fitting representation of the true ideas and the mutual love that bind us all together in our wonderful off the left eye community. The pattern is called one block wonder. It's made of all the same fabric other than creamy white, which is stacked and cut and sewn back together in a way, particular way that creates an unpredictable and endless variety. What a beautiful reminder of how our one God creates all of us in an infinite variety, unique expressions and beautiful facets of the all encompassing divine love approximately 54 inches by 56, 100% cotton flannel, machine washable and dryable. Hey, would you like to be in the running for that? Then finally, the third prize you could get 
is registration for our upcoming Off the Left Eye Experience multi-day event being hosted on the campus of Bryn Athen College, July 23rd to 26th, 2021. You could come and hang out with us. This registration is good for participation in all activities during the event. You got to cover your own travel and lodging though. So let's see who it is that's going to get those. At the end of the show, we'll do the drawing. If you want to donate, go to optoleft.com slash donate or otle.com slash donate. Get your donation in and we will add you to our drawing. Okay. That said, time to get to the questions. All of you know how to play. Start writing them in the chat while you're getting your initial questions in. We're going to hear what all of you had to say to our question. This week, our reflection question was, when have you felt, speaking of bad things happening, when have you felt like you grew spiritually because of a difficult experience. So Chelsea, what did the people say? Yeah, so here's a, just a selection of what people responded with and there's more than uh, more than we could include, but they're on our YouTube, uh, the community tab of our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page or Instagram. You can find it on any of our social media places to read everybody's responses. But here's, here's a few that we got um, and they are, they are really touching. I have to say, we have we have all been through difficult things. <laughs> so yeah. it's really talk about the the humanness and this, you know, the real connection that we really are all in this together. So here they are. Last year, we thought my husband had colon cancer, but he learned he was fine. I had been praying for healing. The peace of God was unbelievable. Wow. And <laughs> when my partner passed away last year, I so want to connect with her. And I feel like I grew spiritually in my wife's passing. I feel like our relationship continues, but spiritually, none of the physical. The relationship has just changed. So many, you know, relationship ones. Right. I am in grief at the moment, having lost my husband nine weeks ago to prostate cancer. Hmm. It is dreadful the way I feel. I hope God will give me strength to carry on. And I've been in the hospital with my daughter for seven days. She had a seven and a half centimeter tumor on her ovary, had surgery to have both the ovary and tumor removed. Every day, something has caused her immense suffering. Watching and helping her through it has been extremely difficult. Today, I learned she has stage three cancer and needs chemo. All I can do is fall apart and fall into God. I'm struggling to keep it together, but I feel like my spirit is being stretched and shaped. Wow. I don't know what lesson I'm learning yet, but it's definitely the hardest one of my life. She's mm. only 11. I can only imagine. That's a lot. Yeah. Mm. When I reached a point of despair, I felt a release afterward. I guess it was similar to what Jesus went through, but not as great as his. And when I realized I was gay, when my sister and brother died, when my grandparents died, when I moved, when my best friend died, after an abusive relationship, when my mom died, after a great relationship, when my career finally took off, when I moved to my dream house and now working on my dream garden, all these helped my spirit and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I don't want to live it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And going through divorce. And when my partner passed away last year, and spirit nursed me through each difficulty I faced, and my faith has increased. The deaths of loved ones, an illness in 1997, a breakdown, an assault that almost killed me, 
yet none of these things affected me negatively. I am grateful for everything that has helped me to realize the truth of who I am because I could not be who I am otherwise. And I feel like it's the end of the free world, but I've met the most meaningful, beautiful connections of my entire life. We hug, cry, participate in the resistance and are all so awake. I would do it all again just to find them and experience spiritual transformation. And lastly, five years ago, it felt like my usefulness was over. I found Off the Left Eye and I started watching every episode. They sent a book, Finding Purpose, exactly what I needed. Life started to happen. I'm closer to God than I ever was before. I have definitely grown. So, wow. I just feel like I wouldn't want to go through any of those things alone. So I feel so touched that people could, like it means so much to hear from people to share the truth of their experience because even, even in the sharing of it, there's sort of a connection that we can hold that all together and not be alone in our, in our own suffering. And just that feels like a, a form of growth and comfort. I forgot we were doing a show. Yeah. <laughs> like I was so just wrapped up in, oh, wow, that's happening. And they're going through it. And they're like willing to say, oh, I think I see some growth on it. So thank you so much, everybody, for sharing stuff that, that that's that real. Um, and, and capturing that dynamic of, no, I don't, it's not like I want to do this again, but I can see good at the same time. So that's that's awesome. So thank you for for sharing. Hey, if you want to hear Chelsea and I answer that very same question, check out our upcoming episode of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast, which is Angelic Intervention and the Challenges that Help Us Grow. That's coming out on Sunday. All right. Let's see if uh, anybody happened to enter any questions into the chat. Somebody did. Tim Bragg. He's going to kick us off with, is there temptation and or conflict ever in heaven? And I do think it's worth noting, for those of you who haven't heard temptation used in a Swedenborgian context, that really the way that he uses that term or what's translated as that term is more akin to the difficult experiences we were just reading through than the urge to do something you know is wrong. Temptation is more sort of a dark night of the soul, a struggle that we go through. All that said, we're done with that by the time we get to heaven, right, Dr. Jonathan Rose? <laughs> well, uh, Swedenborg's um, teachings are interesting on this point. I, I've been very struck by it. Two, two things come to mind. One is that he very clearly teaches that um, everybody in the afterlife, uh, everybody in heaven um, kind of cycles up and down you know pe people go through ups and downs just like they do here one way that i've pictured this that i don't think he uses this exact analogy but if you have a weight on a spring you know it it goes down and then the weight gets the spring gets stretched enough that it pulls it back up and then the spring's not pulling it anymore so it goes back down and it sort of cycles back and forth like that um is the impression that i get even to the point where the way he describes it some angels will kind of fall out of heaven for a while down back into the world of spirits in a state of melancholy or something. And then, and then they get to go back in. So, so it's, it's somewhat unsettling at first to hear that uh, because I was certainly hoping for relentless bliss uh, you know, myself. But um, on the other hand, it's so realistic, like, oh yeah, we know this, we're, we're already living it. 
another sort of subtler point that he makes that has really caused me a lot of um, just consideration or something is uh, that there are law courts in heaven, he says. Hmm. This is really interesting. What sort of trouble do two angels get into where you need a law court? You know, uh, I can imagine that even there where everybody's, you know, I mean, I've seen situations like this in this world where you have people who are pulling together and they're and they're 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 working hard and uh, but they still end up stepping on each other's toes in some way and and you need somebody to kind of sort that out now that's not the same as temptation but it might fit under the conflict heading there is a clear teaching that temptation itself comes to an end like like you get your peaceful you get your seventh day it's all resolved there's there's no more real battle between heaven and hell in you there's this other sort of equilibrium cycling that goes on. Uh, but those are some thoughts on, on that question. Yeah, it does seem like there's some kind of uh, that there's that cycling and yet there's a certain amount that's normal or healthy, even within a fully, you know, heavenized person where, uh, you know, because I was just reading recently where Swedenborg says that the Lord, you know, heaven can't stand to have anything remain divided. Like you need to kind of become holy yourself in terms of, uh, you know, your, your insides being the same as your outsides or, you know, being that, having that full commitment to, you know, goodness and truth. And yet, um, and so you'd think people in heaven have that kind of, they really know who they are, that kind of centeredness or something. And yet there's this, natural um rhythm that happens which he says interestingly is because of our own sense of self like that 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 conflict or temptation is because we always have our sense of self that can kind of cloud our thinking and then get clear again and then it can cloud and get clear um but sort of within the realm where we're not ever going against God, you know, we're not ever turning away from the divine or really tempting ourselves in terms of, Oh, do I really even want to be in heaven anymore or something? You know, there's, it's kind of not going so far into that zone. And I was, I was thinking about it recently in terms of how cool it is that, you know, just the way that astronomy is with the earth rotating day and night, you know, that's kind of like our sense of self, where it gets light and dark and light and dark, <laughs> but we're still revolving around the sun, no matter what, you know, we're all, whether it's winter or summer, our orientation, we're still looking toward the sun, you know, we're revolving around the sun, even if sometimes we're cold, sometimes we're warm. Um, so I think there's something about like heaven, we're still centered on, we've got our priorities straight, you know, uh, but even within that, we can be having a fluctuation of experience or something. Yeah, just think about how life is just obsessively cyclical. There's, and I guess life, when I'm thinking about organisms and it goes seed to shoot, to plant, to seed, but everything is just in these progressions. But even as you were just mentioning, earth is rotating, earth is revolving, circumnavigating. So it's gotta be that it's a good mechanism. This is, this is a, a shining facet of divine order and probably... I mean, what, so yeah, angels needing to go through some kind of rotation like that's probably got to be, it's probably out of whack here. Like a lot of times when we suffer physically, it's because there's some 
bodily system that's stretched beyond where it's supposed to be. Um, so the angelic stuff, as I understand it, doesn't hurt and grind like it does here. But that what we have is sort of this like overblown going through these cycles. You know, the stuff people were just listing there. Like it's not gonna be that bad, but but the the core of the process, this it gets light, it gets dark, that that's the actually essential ingredient to being happy forever. That and, and uninterrupted any anything as what was what was your phrasing, Jonathan, like um, permanent bliss or something like that. Um, couldn't wouldn't be you get desensitized to it that that's part of part of life it's it's all quite something um hey while we were talking about that we made a thousand dollars wow so thank you to dirk who made a contribution to us we really appreciate that that vote of confidence in what we're doing that brings our total to eighteen thousand four thirteen. it's earned you a spot in here so we are getting close we are getting yes. very close 1500 and change away from hitting our full 20,000 uh for the get, bringing heaven to earth campaign so if you want to be a part of that get your name in the raffle it's off to left.com slash donate any other thoughts on uh the, the necessity of the the day night kind of cycle i loved what you all had to say okay Great. Well, then let's move on. Thank you, Tim. Hope you enjoyed our musings on your question. The next one is from our friend, Matt Klein, who asks, what, with the necessity of bad things happening in life, is it a falsity conclude, to conclude that the Lord does this because the ends justify the means? So, yeah, is it, because you've got to grapple with it. Why, why is it that God uses, allows for a system in which there's anything unpleasant is it because look it's going to be all it's in the end it's worth it you know is there is that quite how you both think about it or is there some some nuance or or shade on that chelsea do you want to kick us off yeah i guess kind of the bigger picture that it makes me think about is um even outside of the details of a single person's life and their you know the end game of them being in heaven and being this new part of that whole cool network um, is sort of the nature of how it, with the Lord thinking of creating a human being or having anybody like the Lord uh, Swedenborg writes about how the Lord created um, humanity for the sake of love to exist, you know, to experience love. And, um, and it is one of those interesting things where the nature of that is that to have to have finite beings that exist apart from God that can be receivers of the Lord's love and of the Lord's wisdom. And, and so that's what we get, but that there is this inherent risk that we, with our own sense of autonomy that we're given, can choose to turn away from, um, from God. And so that's like, that's a possibility, but I still kind of think, uh, it's not so much the ends justify the means because I think the Lord sees it as there is so much joy potential um, in, in our, in us having a sense of self um, and, and that, you know, the Lord knows how to work with everything that we do or anything that happens to turn that into goodness. Um, and so the negative stuff we go through or, or the outcomes of, of suffering or like a, a sense of self 
used in an abusive way. Um, those aren't the means that the Lord had designed anyway. That's just kind of the uh, a possibility that he anticipated was a part of the picture. And so, um, so the means is our sense of self, which is really a good thing. And that we are given, you know, one of the things Swedenborg says is everybody is given the means for their salvation is ensured that they have access to the means of their salvation. So the Lord doesn't ever let anybody or anything happen that can't get, have that potential for transformation. Um, so, uh, so those are, those are some initial thoughts that I have. If, if that makes much sense. <laughs> oh, it, it certainly does. And it's a great way to look at it. Um, that it's, it's not like, okay, well, we've got the self, so we might as well work with it, that this is an intentional, it, it somehow raises the ceiling for what the joy in life can be, even if, in, in a way that you wouldn't say, despite, even if it has side effects, but really it, it is so much the main course of what's happening that, that you just couldn't imagine reality without it. Jonathan, yeah, I'd love to hear some, some of your own thoughts about that. Sure. The um, very interesting question. And uh, I think in a way, it's true that the end justifies the means, but maybe not the way that people often uh, think of that. Uh, Swedenborg says that there are kind of three categories. He uses different terms for them different times, but there's things that the Lord wills, like our long-term benefit and happiness and love and all those things that Chelsea was talking about. Uh, and then there's a category of things that um, the Lord allows um uh for various reasons because it could lead to a good end and there you get sort of that end justifies the means sort of thing and then there's also an interesting category to me of things that he cannot prevent you know in other words within the order of it there's there's he he can't stop a hundred percent of things i know people have this sense that like when when you're raising little children you see so many bad things that could happen every day. And a few of them happen. A lot of them get prevented. You can't prevent 100%, um, you know, because of people's free will and people have to have a, have to have a life and, and everything. You know, even the Lord's even concerned with how evil people are doing. Are they, you know, how's, how's their life? And so uh, um, we can... I think by the way that we hold things, we can mitigate it. You know, so much is about how we hold it. I'm thinking of that biblical story of Joseph where his brothers basically cast him off to be killed or sold into slavery or something. And then he rose up to become head of the whole Egyptian or second in command in the whole Egyptian kingdom. And, and uh, he said, you, you know, you, you meant it for harm, but, but uh, God made it turn out for good. Um, that kind of thing is um, important. And I think about when Swedenborg was traveling, like he, uh, when he was in the, the period in which he was writing these theological works, apparently he had extraordinary luck in traveling and he didn't get, um, you know, mugged or, you know, all the highwaymen and all, all the people, you know, it was kind of crazy between the cities was just like, no man's land. And it was pretty insane out there. And he, he seems to have had a lot of good fortune, even to the point where other people said, 
if I'm ever traveling, I want to travel with him because things seem to work out well for him. So it just raises an interesting question about whether we can uh, mitigate it or not. Uh, uh, where I would uh, uh, question the idea about the end justifying the means is that uh, the way Swedenborg describes God, God cares a tremendous amount about the means and the results, like, like the whole thing from one end to the other is uh, really important. And so it's not just sort of like, oh, don't worry about 30 or 40 years of misery, you know, it, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, uh, it's not exactly that. Um, there, even every one of those means, as we heard in those amazing responses earlier on in the show, uh, are doing good things for people now. It's not just sort of something down the road. Yes. And that like, oh, sorry, Curtis, were you going to say something or? No, no, I was just going to breathe. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep doing that. Okay. Um, but uh, it, what it just, an interesting way to think about it from hearing what you're saying, what sparked in my mind, Jonathan, was like that, um, that, you know, one of my favorite numbers is Secrets of Heaven 8478, because that's where it says like, that for people who trust in the divine, all things are moving towards an everlasting state of happiness, no matter the appearance that the means may present. So we are all, that's something to remember is we are always dealing in appearances in this world. And so uh, the appearance of the means is not even the real means, you know, like uh, in a similar way, I guess, with that analogy of using parents and kids, like, the kids, they don't necessarily see all the ways that you're actually protecting them. They're just mad that you're not letting them do what they want to do or whatever. And so, I mean, it's not the best analogy, but I just think even how horrendous things can look on our end in the appearances, just remembering that's an appearance of the means, but the Lord is working behind the scenes in ways we can't even anticipate that is actually, if you had any sense of like the huge wave of how this is pushing us into, you know, um, a centeredness in God or just any of those like revelation and transformation, then we would feel like, oh, this is, of course, keep going. Let's keep going. Let's ride this through because it's going to be worth it. Um, anyway. Yeah. Right. Kind of like when people have their near-death experience life reviews, nobody ever comes out of that saying, well, my life has been poorly managed. Everybody feels very moved by how carefully curated everything is and how it's done with their, their, their was on board afterwards. So I had a couple of thoughts based on what you guys were bringing up. Um, Jonathan's point about there being this category that Swedenborg mentions that the things that God can't prevent because of the, because of the goal, which is salvation. I think that, that quote ends, which is a very, seems strange, seems to be an indication of limited power on God's behalf. If you look at the way that life is structured, I've been watching this show where they're explaining, it's called Quark Science, and they're talking about the ins and outs of the smallest levels of reality. And they're talking about, could there be a vacuum anywhere? And there were some experiments done and somehow, I don't know, math or something. They learned that there's these, where what appears to be nothing is actually this field of potential that very quickly a, a little teeny molecule and its little teeny antimatter nemesis pop into existence together and then come back together. 
and the re and this explained how something could come out of nothing because it made its antimatter. It sucked the same amount of energy at one side and the other. I don't know what I'm talking about, but what I do know is the way the physical world works, all these smart people in the show were like, oh, that's why it makes sense because you have both of those. That there's such a system of balance, just like we're talking about rotation and everything. Balance is just everywhere. And that if you fulfill these particular laws, so we think of, oh, well, this person did this bad thing. You know, that doesn't have to ripple out into the world and hurt other people, but it could just be like, no, if when evil is created, there's just a certain amount of suffering that's created with it. And, and it's just impossible to, to do it under the laws, of, to, to mitigate all that under the laws of spiritual physics doesn't mean God can't turn it. I, I think that always people are going to end up really happy, but there just may be an impossibility in preventing the experience of suffering when all that is out there. Purpose, means, and results, like you're mentioning, that the really the, the three kind of coexist inside each other to God. Every moment is the present. There's this bizarre teaching that Swedenborg has. That it's, it's all right now, so it's not like the means are something that God can just take and discard. And remember when that was happening, that's always present to God. So there's got to be God in that moment somehow. And this is also, this is my third thought. This is not this, this whole go and suffer to in the end to to make progress on something good it's not just a mission that god hands to us and then goes and sits back like what was the life of jesus christ like it was it was that for whatever reason god's doing the same thing that we're doing um hey so while while we were talking man money was just rolling in people were, were like okay i got a million names to read here oh great so we have Amy donated, Todd gave, Michael gave, and Brendan gave. Wow. Well, all of that, our total is 18748 So we are getting very close to our $20,000 goal. Thank you so much, everybody. In the end of this campaign, if you're just joining us, off to lefteye.com slash donate, you can get your name in this raffle jar to win these three life-changing items. All right. Let's, uh, I'll just put those names in right now. Okay, so next question. This is DB who asks, what happens to our goals or ambitions we had on earth that we didn't get to realize in this lifetime? Do we have a chance to achieve them in the afterlife? Ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah, Jonathan. Well, uh, we were just talking, you were just talking about purpose and means and result. And one of the really... Um, beautiful things that Swedenborg says to me is that we are judged uh, according to our intentions, which is a really awesome thing. You know, there've been this saying forever that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, oh, I meant to, you know, work out. I meant to, you know, do this and that, go on a diet or something. But, um, but Swedenborg would say the road to heaven is paved with good intentions. And the way I've thought about this is that if you had um, a young child who really, really wanted to, um, you know, sink a basketball in a net, uh, doesn't have a prayer of doing that, you know, but yeah. the parent can take the ball and put it through the net, knowing that that's what the kid wanted. That's what the kid was trying to do. That's what the kid wanted. I think the Lord does that with us a lot, um, you know. Let me help you. I'll fulfill that intention. In fact, the Lord gives us those intentions. So 
I tend to think that those kind of goals or ambitions, it, I guess it partly depends on how sort of earthly or spiritual they are for how exactly they would get fulfilled. But I tend to think that those things do get realized, like those things are planted in our hearts and we care about those things. And a lot of stuff in this world just doesn't happen, can't happen. You know, you something happens to your health or whatever, and you can't fulfill that ambition. And, and so I, I, I do think uh, that the likelihood is that those intentions get fulfilled or realized in some way. And we take some of those with us into the afterlife, which is an ongoing adventure from there. Yeah, I really wonder about like, in thinking about, or what, what it brings to mind, at least first off for me is that Swedenborg had several manuscripts that were left unfinished at the end of his lifetime. <laughs> and, um, so he maybe had goals about what he wanted to publish. And some of those things didn't happen in this world, but he also writes of how he saw his works published in heaven. Like he knew there were copies of his books that were circulating in the spiritual world. Um, and, uh, and so, and he also remarks of how there are books get published or somehow, but like he, he says that there is those kinds of works that exist in the spiritual world. And so I could only think that, you know, you, there, there's like a creativity that continues into the afterlife and gets satisfied. And I, I wonder about, you know, our, our potential, uh, we lay the groundwork here certainly, but I think, you know, the, the afterlife is where the real fruit begins, um, in a way where we might think we're even achieving goals down here, but, uh, it's a whole different ball game up there that I think ends up feeling more satisfying, like the real goal and satisfaction. There's a different sort of a flavor, um, in the spiritual world. And, and Swedenborg certainly talks about there's places of learning, there's educational systems. Um, you know, we grow in intelligence there. And of course it's in line with the purpose that we're wanting to put that intelligence to, you know, and, um, and so I wonder about uh, that, of course, we want, like, there's such a value to getting things done in this world. You know, it's useful for this world for people to get things done. But, um, but we're also just kind of setting the groundwork for being able to launch, <laughs> you know, in, in a new way in, in the afterlife. Great. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of puts some perspective on... You know, it's not all about high school. There's life after high school. You know, here we're in sort of high school of our whole lives where we're, we're learning and there's a lot of cool stuff, but there's a lot more ahead of us. I do think that the, the word choice is interesting. Goals or ambitions, because ambitions can kind of have a positive or a negative connotation. People will, will say, oh, you're overly ambitious in a negative sense, like you're you're trying to step on people to get where you want to go or doing so at the expense of other important things in your life. So I think that that immediately brings to mind that there seems to be in the afterlife, a sorting process of our goals and ambitions that we have good goals and ambitions and we have with heavenly ones and we have hellish ones. And often we don't know which is which, uh, but there it seems like a lot of care and effort is put into letting us know and, and not just sweeping it under the rug, but really letting us see for ourselves 
what's heavenly and what's hellish. I'm thinking of to open his book, Married Love, Swedenborg has this whole series of descriptions of what he calls the false heavens, where a bunch of people who had these inaccurate ideas about heaven, a lot of which had um, ambitions wrapped up in them. Like there was a group of people who thought in heaven, heaven is me being like a ruler. I'm going to be like a king or I'm going to get to eat dinner with the the prophets and these really important people. I'm going to be waited on hand and foot by angels of these sort of ambitions to be greater than others. And instead of just erasing that from mind or shaming them for it, the people get to go and live that out, that there are these carefully constructed environments where these angels say, okay, here's your heaven, here you go. And the people get to live it for a few days until they realize how empty it is and how misguided that particular ambition was. And so they themselves are now divesting themselves of it. So that's in the negative sense. But if there's that much care given to the negative ambitions, I'm sure that there's care and effort given towards your positive ambitions. You would know why were they there? What what of it do you take to the next level? What of it do you leave behind? So it just seems like what's in us matters, right? That's a good point. Cool. Good. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a great question, DB. Thank you so much for asking it. Um, let's, uh, oh, hey, while I was sitting there, while we were sitting there talking, we had more contributions. Uh, so we had Eric and Sharon donated, and now we're up to 18,833. We're creeping into that only 1K left. Thank you so much for doing that. Off to leftiecom slash donate. We're at the very end of our Bringing Heaven to Earth campaign. So it's really appreciated. Every dollar you give lets this continue and, and lets it go to the next person who, who may need it. So Next question is from Bren Webbs, who asks, if someone is in the right as far as morally and ethically, but they're persecuted for it, should they merely bear the cross of persecution or should they fight back when doing so removes their peace? Oh, it's a two-parter because we've had the, I've had the question at times of, do you fight back or not fight back if you're, if you're spiritual, right? But that that combined with, you know, if it's if it's causing you harm, it's a very interesting, complex question. And I can't wait to see you guys answer it. So <laughs> yeah, we're not just causing harm, but removing your peace. Like that's an interesting yeah. uh, point of does it does it remove? Yeah, like the value of do we stay peaceful or is a little bit of tumult useful or healthy? I don't know. Um, I don't have anything more to say about it right now. <laughs> Isn't that sort of what we're, t we're talking about on this show is like the good side of, of tumult. But then again, you certainly can throw yourself into something that, that isn't productive. So Jonathan, what do you think? Well, a couple of uh, thoughts come to mind. It's a very, very interesting and challenging question, I think. And um, uh I think about various different um, biblical circumstances, just trying to look for some sort of a model. I mean, you do have the model that you raised a little bit of go Curtis about Jesus. And um, so you might think, well, that's a model of just take, you know, swallow the bitter pill, you know, drink that cup as Jesus says, uh, go through that. But I've reflected um, sometimes that, well, Jesus could have given up his life on the sand lot, you know, when he was six years old or something, but, but he didn't. And there are times when there's a whole crowd. I just read this the other day where there's a whole crowd that come to 
throw him off a cliff. They're offended by what he said and they came, they took him to a cliff to throw him off. So, and that story tells me that there might be a third alternative, uh, which is kind of strategic avoidance, <laughs> you know. Uh, in other words, uh, there's a, several times in the story where Jesus almost gives you the impression that he made himself invisible. He just walks through the crowd and they don't throw, you know, that wasn't the right moment to throw it. You know, he, he wasn't supposed to die by being thrown off that cliff by those people. So he engineered it to get through the crowd with somehow without being noticed or whatever. He, he just walked away and uh, and they didn't pick up that he was there. Uh, so there are, you know, there's been a long tradition in Christianity, hasn't there, of um, of martyrdom and, you know, for understandable reasons. But I think you can kind of do it the wrong way. You know, you can be so martyred that you're miserable. Swedenborg talks about people in the spiritual world who went through such a martyrdom and uh, giving up of pleasure, giving up of, you know, their life in this world or giving up of wealth and so on that they're actually quite miserable to be around and the angels don't find them any fun, you know? And uh, um, so it's not all just like, how miserable can I be? You know, sometimes I think our lower selves take it that way of like the really, the really spiritual path would be to be like majorly miserable all the time and, and make sacrifices and, and so on. I, I know that may be far from the mind of the person asking the question, but it just came to mind that sometimes I've had to, I have kind of a tendency that way and I've had to remind myself, it's like, no, you, there are circumstances where you need to stick up for yourself. That'll be good for your immune system and, and all that. But I also see like, uh, wasn't it Sun Tzu in the art of war says that those who know when to fight and when not to fight will be victorious. And I think that's a really deep meditation. I don't think there's one simple answer to that. Uh, there's a situation where Swedenborg and an angel go into a whole crowd of evil spirits and they decide not to go into the center of town. They pick a few people off from the side and talk to them as this kind of sidebar. You know, they sort of read the danger and uh, no, th that that is too dangerous. We're, we're not going to do that. We're going to handle it this way over here. So I think it takes a lot of um, prudence and, and care. But I, I like the thought of just sometimes it's absolutely the thing to do and, and which Jesus does when it's the right time. He does sort of take that bitter pill and swallow it. Uh, but he had to wait until that was the right moment and had to survive a lot of other situations to get there. And sometimes it is the time to, to push back or to avoid and kind of disappear and sidestep the, um, you know, the blow that's, that's coming at you. So I, I don't know if that's helpful at all, but uh, uh, I appreciate the question. It's an interesting question. Yeah, well, it's, it's making me think. Um, so it's useful in that way. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think of, um, it's reminding me, I think you're on to that idea that it's really got to be, you know, what, what are we asked to, like, it, our life is a daily, a daily thing. And, um, and the answer for today might be different than the answer for tomorrow, you know, like asking the Lord for our daily bread and just that continual, um, you know, we can't, we can't sort of work beyond the, the, the barriers of just how is this showing up for me today? And so to not sort of feel like needing to make a, 
a decision that's a life sentence about how you're going to handle a situation, but let it be what feels right for today. Um, because I think that's, there's sort of a, we're always in a relationship with um, working with the Lord and wanting to understand what is like asking for the Lord's will to be done in a situation or, uh, and for ourselves. And it makes me think of what we were mentioning earlier about um, the different levels of the Lord's will, that idea of the Lord willing something or just allowing it or can't prevent it. um, That uh, I was, I happened upon a number. I think I mentioned it to you guys both recently that um, this number in spiritual experiences where Swedenborg is talking about that it's possible for us to know the Lord's will. Like there's a sort of level of angelic perception where you really recognize and you can discern, is this the Lord's will or is this only in that allowance category or is this a, you know, non-preventable sort of a thing and wanting to only take action on the things that they know are in the Lord's will. Um, but, but how we discern that I think is something that like, it could be a different answer for a different scenario or even at a different time in our life. You know, like I've definitely had issues that are just perennial, you know, or, and I wonder, is this worth my time right now or not? You know, like, do I go head to head on this or do I leave it and, you know, direct somewhere else? So I think that's sort of the, the kind of engagement that the Lord wants us to, to do together to like, think through that and um, get, see, see how we can get a sense of what the Lord's will is for us. Um, I, I just kind of think that's, that's the kind of, muscle work that the Lord is wanting to kind of engage with us, engage with us if he's our trainer, you know, if he's like, yeah, let's work on this and figure out. Uh, so I think we can grow and grow in our ability to perceive, is this the right thing to do or not, whether or not it removes our peace, um, I guess it's just some thoughts I'm having. I, I love that. I love the point about the difficulty of predicting any one instance of it, but looking for this to develop this instinct or, or working partnership that allows us to try to more and more sniff out. Where, where's the Lord? Where's the Lord trying to push? And before I comment on that a little bit more, I just want to say Elizabeth gave and so did Stephanie. So thank you both. Mm-hmm. And we're now up to 18,908. We're cr- Creeping up towards, it's going to come down to the wire where we get to our $20,000 goal. Uh, but thank you so much uh, for giving everyone. If you want to help push this forward and get your name entered in the raffle to win the framed art, the custom quilt, or the pass to the Opti Left Eye Experience, you've got 12 minutes to do so. But um, Chelsea, I wanted to think think more through what, what you were saying there. It kind of makes me think about um, the weather. And I've been recently looking a lot at the weather report because I've really been digging the sunny days and the gray days are a little harder. And I've noticed, well, look at this. They said it was going to be cloudy all day today and it's sunny right now. That even though they have such good computer models and such good technology to predict any single instance is so difficult to, to put all those factors together. And it makes me think about we can know these truths about God and how God operates and what we should do. But to say for us to say to Bren, well, you should do this and you shouldn't do that in that particular situation is so difficult. But it makes me think of, okay, what are the universal principles? It's something that if I was in 
friend situation where I was saying if someone is in the right as far as morally and ethically, something that would make me feel, because it sounds like there's tension there, what would make me feel the best is to go back to some basic principles, which is like, well, I'm not in the right morally and ethically. God is in the right. N nobody's in the right except God. God is that if I have something good and true in this, you know, if I, if I have a, a position that I'm right in, it's because God put it there. And so, and God is the only one who can do anything good with that position that on my own, I can't do anything good with it. All I can do is, is evil, which is, it sounds crazy, but that's this Swedenborg is asserting that this is like those electrons popping out. This is a rule of reality. So that takes some of the pressure off to know, look, God, if you, if it's going to happen, it's because you're going to inspire me. It's going to feel like it's me. It's going to come through my mind and my will, but it's not actually me figuring this out. It's you figuring this out. So just saying, Hey, look, I, I hope that you are going to, do this. I, it just taking some of that pressure off and and just look and set the intention to ask for that inspiration. And then we do our best guess. You know, it's like, do you bring an umbrella or not? You know, you, you just you, you try it out. So anyway, just such a great question. We could we could talk on it forever. But I think I feel really good about, you know, the initial musings that we've had. So thank you so much, um, Bren, for that. Um, let's take a look at Beth B's question, who asks, the holidays can be a difficult time when you've lost a friend or a loved one? Is there recognition about this from loved ones in the spirit world or heaven? Do they know this can be more of a difficult time? Yeah, I was just really feeling for that, that that's something that everybody else is celebrating can, can just kind of twist the knife that much more. And I guess it gets to the sort of fundamental question of, do they, you know, the people that, that we really cared about, do they, how, do they still care? And are they given the means to know and and care about us. Do either of you feel inspired to uh, to comment on that? I I can kick it off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah why don't you kick it off? Okay. Um, well, one time. So uh, you don't know a lot about this from Swedenborg. He he he's not that sentimental in how he describes things. There's not a lot of the stuff we would ask first. I know that there are certain things that I just feel like are true. Um, and so uh, I had lost my sister when I was younger. She died. And my aunt was getting um, sort of visions or visitations with her. And at one point, um, she was told that my sister was like, she saw my sister like putting blankets on each of us, you know, like, like spiritual blankets on us. And she put a green one on me because I needed extra healing right then. So to me, that just suggests an acute awareness of that I'm here and, and what I need at the time, right? If she, if she was, she has a, a kid, you know, was, was cued in enough to know that I would imagine. And it seems like part of the, it's very much the spiritual world's business um, to help us. So it would seem like, yeah, if, if we are needing extra healing around the holidays, how could God's aware of it? And all the good things that any of us do are just the extension of God's urging us to do good things. So I would think, yeah, if God's going to use any and all means to try to make it so that you're not alone uh, when, we're, when we're celebrating. But yeah, Jonathan, do you want to have some thoughts? Sure. The uh, Thank you. Good Good thoughts and powerful to hear about that. Um, I, I agree with you that, that Swedenborg doesn't say much. You sort of have to piece things together a little bit um, about that. But generally, uh, very clearly, 
says that they care a tremendous amount. They, you know, they, they have the same love that they ever had. If they love you, that, that love hasn't gone anywhere. And it's not like you go through a giant, you know, magnet and get your memory wiped when you go to the other world. They, they, they remember what it's like to be here and how important the holidays are. And just out now talking out of my own experience, um, I have really noticed, and I know a lot of people have this experience of like, wow, aren't anniversaries, uh, all kinds of things as, as well as holidays. Um, I read a story years ago about a person who, um, whose father appeared to him in, in kind of a vision. And he only realized afterward, for some reason he thought of calculating it, that he was exactly the age on that day that, he, that his father was when he died. Like if you added all the years and all the days, uh, Swedenborg never talks about how the other world feels about time and, and that kind of, you know, what, what we're going, the calendar here. My experience though, is that they pay a lot of, somebody pays a lot of attention to that, you know, and, and that um, uh, there is a sense of wanting to provide comfort, knowing that can be difficult. Sometimes I found, I finally started putting these uh, anniversaries in my, you know, phone calendar because I wouldn't realize why I was kind of a little skitzy on a given day or something, whatever the right word would be. And, uh, and then you'd realize, oh yeah, this is the anniversary of, you know, some event. And, and I would think, well, that doesn't matter. It's, you know, there's no time and space in the other world in the same way as there is here. And, uh, but it does seem to matter to, um, uh, the other world. And, and I finally started to, okay, I'm going to make it matter to my, you know, I'm going to at least write that on my phone. So I know when that day comes up, heads up, you know, this can be an intense day because I might not even remember it's an anniversary, but something or somebody remembers. And, and um, so I do think they, they care about that and want to provide some help. Sometimes our own grief in a weird way can actually get in the way of us being helped and, and they want us to feel more joyful or, or peaceful or, or something like that, because we can be so torn up in the pain of it that it's hard for them to actually reach us and give us comfort. Um, but I have great compassion for everybody at, at the holiday. They are difficult, you know, I'm just going through the first um, Thanksgiving and Christmas without my father. And, and it's, um, it's hard. It is, it is hard. So have compassion for everybody who's going through that. Yeah. And I, I feel like um, the thought that's occurring to me about it is how, uh, yeah, like you say, it can sometimes be when we are in the thick of the grief of something ourselves, it can feel like that presents a, it's harder for the spiritual messages to come through. Even if our loved ones are close, we maybe aren't having that vision that we wish we would have, or, you know, having that connection. Um, and on the other side of that, I know I've heard plenty of stories where it's when they're in, somebody's in the thick of like, things are really falling apart in this world, or things are really um, feeling hard that then they have a dream, you know, where a loved one appears and gives them a message, some sort of sense of um, comfort and direction that can just kind of lift that burden a little bit. Um, and so something Swedenborg says is that angels are especially attuned to our feelings. You know, like that really is the sort of deeper, truer part of us. We can be pretty tuned out to how we're really feeling, but the angels around us who I think are partly those loved ones that we are missing at this time of year 
um, are even more intimately aware of, of those waves, you know, that are coming through. Um, but on our end, we might not uh, have that experience of, so we get that sense of their close presence, even though they're actually very close and very, you know, caring for us and uh, wanting to comfort us, but we don't necessarily sense it. And sort of an interesting exercise that Beth or whoever might try that I've been kind of thinking about is, is Swedenborg says that like, we, we really do connect with angels when we are asleep, you know, like during our sleep and our, even if we don't remember our dreams, our sleep can be a time when we are um, almost communing, you know, having that connection, even though we're unable to perceive it during waking life. And uh, so I kind of think getting a good amount of sleep is good. And even having just a little bit of an intention right before you go to sleep of, I'm going to connect with these loved ones and I want to be, you know, be together in that comfort or trust in our closeness, even though I know I'm going to, you know, wake up and maybe not have any sense that anything meaningful happened overnight. Um, and so people can, I think there's something about having that intention before you go to sleep and then just maybe honoring it when you wake up in the morning to just sort of, even as an exercise to recognize that <laughs> my kids are making so much noise behind me. Um, <laughs> right now, all. my loved ones are like banging yeah. on the wall. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but uh, when you wake up in the morning to even acknowledge, I know I'm getting more comfort and support and love than I can, than I'm consciously aware of right now and kind of let that, you know, I don't know if that's of any comfort to sort of be a, a way to, to sort of play with the, the spiritual truth that we know, even though we can't perceive it. Great. Love it. Love it. And, uh, and I would say, yeah, for all of you at home where all of us are in our houses. So like my family's out there, like, you know, this is the, this is the pandemic lifestyle. Hey, listen, it's just about the end of the hour. We're going to let's do one more quick question, but I just want to say everybody, it's your very last chance. If you want to get in, your name in the raffle to win our three items and help us reach our goal off the slash donate. You only have like two minutes left. What we do is a nice, a nice quick question here. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because you never know. Preliminal asks, is heavens a more accurate word for heaven? Singular or plural? Dr. Jonathan Rhodes. Well, uh, Swedenborg uses both forms. And I think actually both terms are very meaningful. Uh, in terms of the plural, Swedenborg talks about the fact that actually heaven is full of tremendous diversity and variety. There's three different entire layers of heaven. There are countless communities and each angel individually and couples and so on are angels. Uh, they're heavens in least form kind of thing. And so, yes, many, many heavens, like Jesus says in, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And, and um, but the amazing thing is that God makes all that one. And so the one is also very meaningful that you can meaningfully speak about heaven, that, that there's one attitude, there's one overarching goal and approach to life and so on. So that's a cool question. And both of those are meaningful to me. Oh, I love that. 
I didn't even think of that. Yeah, right. It's both. I was going to say, no, it's heavens because it's different for everyone. And no, it's both. That's so good. Chelsea, do you, you want to add any closing thoughts on that? Uh, just a quick thought of like, you know, the human body is always a good um, analogy and we are one body, but we're made up of all these weird organ systems. And then they are made up of, you know, you've got little organelles inside of a cell. And, um, and so we don't have our word. All we can say is heavens and heaven, but maybe it's like heaven else or something. Or little. Oh, I love it. So yeah, yeah. Heavens, and then you've got your heaven and uh, you know, so yeah. And the, each of those, those organelles are in a form that we call them organelles because they remind us of organs. They do the same kind of thing, but on a teeny little scale and that each heaven is doing the heaven thing uh, they share a brand, even if not a, a scale. I love it. Great thoughts, everyone. And guess what? It was worth waiting because Robin showed up and gave. So we're, we end our, our grand total here is 18,958. An amazing uh, boon from all of you. Thank you so much for believing in what we're doing. And this concludes our Bringing Heaven to Earth campaign. Let's do the raffle. I said, so here's all your names in here, and you're going to see that this is a totally randomized process. There's no cheating or whatever. This is all shaken up. Okay. Let's see who's going to get their life changed by material objects and experiences first. Are doing one, which raffle are we doing first? First is going to be the art print. Okay. So this is going to be, this is the yeah, custom framed print of some amazing original art created by our one of our staff artists for off the left eye this is going to be nobody else has this hanging in their house except you and by you i'm talking about <laughs> eric and what one of our i think one of our recent entries eric rockham you are going to get that art so round of applause okay <laughs> thank you so much for believing in us all right next the quilt, the custom packed with meaning, one of a kind quilt to brighten up. What is it? Huga, make your home more comfy over this winter season. That is going to go directly to Elizabeth Moore. Thank you so much. Great to have you part of our community. All right, let's shake. Now, this is for the Off the Left Eye Experience Pass. So whoever this is. You just may be hanging out with us come this summer. And it's going to be mixing it all around. Isn't it funny, like Providence at work here? Like yeah, my hands right. are clearing out Providence. And, you know? yeah. Joshua Gorman, you are going to hang out. Should you yeah. so choose? We would love to see you. <laughs> Come this summer. So we'll be in, don't you have to remember your names. We'll be in touch with you. Everyone else, you could say, oh, I didn't win, but you won because you made this thing go forward. We're all partnering to bring this into the world. And so with I hope that you're really feeling our, our appreciation and gratitude for your making this happen. It would grind to a halt without you. So thanks to everyone. I want to say uh, thank you to our panel. It's been a, an honor and a joy um, serving with you both. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody for giving and everybody who gave through the whole Bringing the Heaven to Earth campaign and uh, fun to get to be here a part of the, the last hour of it and get to have my mind blown with spiritual thoughts. So <laughs> it's, it's so wonderful that the um, people's generosity, your, your 
caring about us and loving us so we really feel it and uh it's a very joyful thing to be with you at, at least digitally in this way and uh wishing you blessings and happy holidays coming up lots of love and we'll see you all again really soon join us for our monday episode of swedenborg in life the real identity of the angel gabriel as we approach the christmas season here who was that mysterious angel thanks everyone this has been so fun take it easy hope you're having a great day